How They Train is brought to you by Pillar Performance. I told you all last week on the Alistair Brownlee episode how my go-to combo at the moment is triple magnesium 30 to 60 minutes before bed and then ultra B active directly after my pre-morning breakfast. And I just want to stress how amazing I'm feeling. I know I'm a broken record with this, but I used to feel like complete shit training in the mornings. I was tired, I had no energy, I was grumpy and I was moody. I haven't had that even once since I've been on this combination. I sleep so much better and I know it works because literally over 100 people have messaged me on how they train Instagram saying the exact same thing since they've started using triple magnesium. And the noticeable improvement in energy throughout my morning training using Ultra B Active is something I was so skeptical about, but so bloody glad I tried. Do yourself a favor. If you sleep poorly or want to sleep better, get some pillar triple magnesium. And if you exercise or train in the morning, take Ultra B Active directly after your pre-training food and just watch how much better you feel. Head to pillarperformance.shop or just Google Pillar Performance and use the code HTT20 at checkout to save yourself 20% off your order. Also, all details are in the episode description. Before the episode starts, I just wanted to say a couple of things. Firstly, I want to make it clear that I'm actually a huge Ironman fan. In many ways, Ironman is triathlon. And watching Ironman races is what made me truly fall in love with the sport of triathlon. And then as an adult, racing 70.3s are some of the happiest memories I have. Without Ironman, I think a lot of us wouldn't participate in triathlon, have many races we could even participate in, or probably even be listening to this podcast. And secondly, I actually really respect Andrew Messick for coming on to answer the hard questions I had for him. He didn't have to give me his time. He's a busy and important man, so I really appreciate it. But on this, I felt the tough questions needed to be asked. And I felt they needed to be asked from someone who loves triathlon, loves Ironman, and cares deeply about the past, present, and future of the sport. So whether you're in your car, riding your bike, going for a run, or just listening to this while you're chilling out, Strap yourself in. This one gets interesting. CEO of Ironman, Andrew Messick. Welcome to How They Train. There's obviously so many things to discuss with you at the moment, with the past 6 to 12 months being arguably the most polarizing with the public in Ironman's entire history. So, let's just start with what everyone is talking about the most, the Ironman World Championships in 2023, including the split race venues for the men and women, the races being one month apart, and moving away from Kona for the men. While there's some positive feedback about the change in location, I'd say the vast majority of feedback being shared by people is negative, or at the very least, it's confused. Andrew, can you take us inside these decisions and talk to us about the decision from Ironman's perspective? Sure. You know, we had um, you know expectations after or during this year, or actually I should say last year now that it's 2023, that we had a plan that we had developed in partnership with the county of Hawaii that we would not only have two days of racing in Kona in 2022, but we would have two days of racing in Kona in 2023 and put an enormous amount of work, again, in, in partnership with the county um, to, to create an operating plan that would enable us to have a day for 
professional and mostly age group women, and in a second day for men uh, in October of 2022. And and the work that we did was to work with the community to make sure that the people could get to work and that traffic would be managed and that the impact of the Ironman World Championship would, you know, to the people who live in West Hawaii would be one that was acceptable. And, and I think it's worth pointing out that everywhere in the world we race, you know, we're guests in those communities. And, and we trade off the benefits of having races, you know, tourism and economic impact and promotion of the place um, with inconvenience. You know, we close roads, we make it harder for people to, you know, get their kids to school or sports practice or go to church for races that are on Sundays. And in every place that we operate, and, and this is, we're no different from any other race organizer, we have to very carefully balance the impact of the community and, and make sure that there's balance and that the, the benefits that come associated with bringing a race um, aren't outweighed by the inconveniences to the people who live there. And so we put a huge amount of effort uh, leading up into October of 2022. And our expectation when we all arrived in Kona in the beginning of the month was, was that we were going to be able to find a way um, to manage the Thursday-Saturday race in a way that was going to work for the people of Kailua Kona and indeed the communities all the way up the west coast of the Big Island of Hawaii, all the way to Havid. And, and we, you know, we believed that that was going to work. And, and we had, prior to that, an agreement with, with, uh, with Hawaii that we'd be able to do it again in 2023. And it turns out that it didn't work. That's the, the impact, particularly on Thursday, on the community was just more than we had expected and more, frankly, that the community was prepared to tolerate and that there was too many people who got stuck in traffic, too many people who couldn't get to work on the Thursday, too many people who couldn't do the things they need to do with their children. And, and despite the best intentions of everybody, it became clear very, very quickly that a Thursday race, which by the way, had never been done before. No one's ever done an Ironman race on a Thursday. That a, that a Thursday Ironman race just wasn't going to work. Um, we wish it was different. And, and I think we, we feel comfortable that we did everything we could to try to make it work. And that we left no stone unturned in our communications with the community that our community outreach was solid, that our traffic management plans were good, but the reality was different. And so very soon after our two days of Kona, it became clear that two days just was not going to functionally work. Um, and that the community of Kailua Kona after 40 years of you know, having us you know, there on the second Saturday of October was not prepared for us to be there 
more than one day. And we got that news officially through the mayor and, uh, and, and his office. And, and he is a partner in, in everything that we did. We got this through informal channels. Remember, we had an office in, in Kona and we have a, a number of staff who live there. We've got volunteer directors, many of whom have been working on the Ironman World Championship for 30, 40 years. And the feedback that everyone who lived there got informally in the grocery store, you know, at church was, guys, forget about two days. It's not going to happen. That's that the impact on the community was unmanageably high. Now, not news we wanted to hear. But it's the reality of being in the event business. And the event business is a business that takes place on public waterways, public roads, and requires the enthusiastic support of the communities in which we operate. And it wasn't there. Um, and you know, we never looked to find fault. We never looked to say who's you know, to, to blame. But we concluded, okay, we have announced a two-day Kona in 2023. We have already qualified athletes for a two-day Kona in 2023. We have promised women their own day in 2023. And we can't keep all those promises. We wish we could, but we can't. And so where we pivoted very quickly to is do we go back to a single day of racing in Kona where men and women share the course, where women don't get, again, the opportunity to get the kind of coverage and the spotlight and the attention that they got in October on the Thursday race and that they get every year in the 70.3 World Championships? Do we unwind that? and? put the women back behind the men in a one-day Kona? Or do we keep the promise to give women their own day of racing? And to do that means only one of the days can be in Hawaii and one of the days has to be somewhere else. And I will not bore you with the sausage making and the consultation process that we went through and the people we talked to, but ultimately we concluded the right thing for Ironman is to have two days of racing at the World Championship, just like we do for 70.3 worlds. And to do that, we could only have one of those days be in Hawaii, and one of those days needed to be somewhere else. And Nice, who has been a partner of ours for 15 years, and who has been an important destination on the global triathlon map, since 1982, stuck their hand up and said, we're prepared to host one of the days. Um, and ultimately we concluded that's the right thing for Ironman. Uh, it's the right thing to give uh, athletes, you know, we have more European athletes than we have North American athletes now racing with us um, globally to give European athletes an opportunity to have a world championship in which they don't need to travel 12 time zones and 20 hours and take two weeks off of work 
and that an awful lot of European athletes are timed and priced out of being able to go to Hawaii. It's a long way away, it's expensive, and not everyone can afford two weeks off to be able to go race. And having a world championship take place in Europe opens the door for a broad array of people who would like to qualify for and compete in a world championship, but for whom Hawaii, for whatever reason, may not be possible. So to have one race in Hawaii and one race in Europe in what I think many people would say is historically the second most important triathlon market in the world felt right to us. I think you're right that there's a lot of people in like Europe particularly who don't hate the change in location and some people who don't mind the race being in a less extremely um, hot environment. And I think generally speaking, if Ironman and yourself are being honest about the reason for the race not being viable in Kona anymore is because of the island being too busy and community backlash that people can sort of understand and even accept that. But despite that, the majority of the feedback still seems to be pretty negative or or at least what I'm seeing. Um, So I guess thinking about it like that, it's like if any rational person can understand that, then I have to ask myself, why are the majority of fans still so angry about it? And to me, it's clearly because the other decisions being made about the race, like the split venue, the month apart, um, maybe even a little bit of not believing the reasoning or thinking that there's other solutions that, that maybe it might be because of money or, or, or something else like that. Um, but before we go into that further, something I want to ask is when you say that the women deserve their own race, why is it that if the race was on the same day that the women's race would be sort of seen as secondary to the men's race. Isn't that sort of just on Ironman to make a decision to go, well, we want the women to be highlighted just as much as the men. Isn't that your coverage that would dictate how highlighted the women's race is? Couldn't you have an equal amount of of cameras on the men's and women's races? Couldn't you have commentators who are sort of equally educated on the men's and women's women's races? Couldn't you just follow both races as they played out and and create them sort of uh, on like an equal playing surface, sort of put them on equal importance as, as each other. And so Lucy Charles Barkley isn't going to swim through the back of the men's field. I mean, if you start her 10 minutes behind the pros, no, she's not. Oh, okay. So we we'll start, well, let's talk about that. So you start Lucy and the women 10 minutes, call it 20 afterwards. Now, now we're starting to, you know, the women will be out there a little bit more during the hotter part of the day. How much of a gap do you then have between the pro women and the first age group men? So that the fast age group men aren't riding their bikes through the back of the women's pro field. How do you manage that? Yeah, well, you could manage that however you want. Like, obviously, field size is a massive well, well, issue. But, but here's, here, here's the point is you can't. If you increase the gaps, you run out of daylight for the age groupers. Because we have to get all of the age groupers off the bike before it's dark. Yeah, well, at the end of the day, I think this is something people are a little confused about is the the dampening or the weakening of, the, of an Ironman World Championship field. It's obviously much whoa, easier whoa, whoa, to... Wait, wait, wait a second. Hang on for a second. So, so you think we shouldn't have women's 70, 74, that age group shouldn't exist? I mean, you can, but I still think that qualifying, you know, there should be a time cutoff for sure if it's an Ironman World Championship event. At the end of the day, there's a lot of Ironman races around the world. And 
I strongly believe the public sentiment that I'm receiving is that the world championship should be held on sort of a higher account. And unfortunately, if you if you don't deserve to be there, you shouldn't be there. And, and like, so, so let me just stop you. So Cherie Grunfeld shouldn't be shouldn't have raced Kona this year. That's what you think. Well, it depends. If she makes a qualifying time that everyone agrees to and then can make the cutoff times that get her to the finish line before it becomes unsafe to race out in the course, then for sure she should be there. It doesn't even have to be a lightning fast time. It just has to be fast enough that it's not unsafe for her to be out there, like you're saying. She made, she made every cutoff, two hours and 20 minutes for the swim. Every single athlete has the same cutoff. Every single athlete has 17 hours to finish. Every athlete in at the Ironman World Championship has the same cutoffs. The problem you have is when you start people later in the day, you run out of daylight. The more you spread out the start, you can't condense when it gets dark. So if you're going to have a huge gap between the pro men and the pro women, and then another huge gap between the pro women and the age group men, who are the first people to start, you've got all the other age groups that need to have enough time to complete the bike before it gets dark. And so the challenge is you can't do that in one day and have enough gap so that the women aren't, the pro women aren't running into the back of the pro men's field and the pro and the age group men aren't interfering with the women's race the women's pro race. You can't do both of those things and not pinch the age groups at the end of the race and start shutting down the ability for some of our, what are largely older athletes to have enough time to be able to finish the bike before it gets dark. That's the operational, that's the operational constraint that we have in Hawaii. And it doesn't get dark. It doesn't get light until 625 in the morning. That's when we start our first athletes. You can't start people sooner than that because there isn't enough light to do it safely. I completely, so, I completely hear you and, and understand what you're saying. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not denying what you're saying is true, but I think people don't agree with what you're saying. I, I don't think there's a really strong sentiment that, um, the, uh, like that, people agree with what you're saying. I think that people are more of the opinion that the Ironman World Championships, if if those issues are the big issues, that we should hold, hold the Ironman World Championships to a bit of a higher account and make it a little bit harder to qualify, reduce field size, sizes a little bit. Um, I, I like, I'm, Ironman's this, a participation sport. I fully understand that. And there is uh, like there's so many Ironman events globally for you know um, someone who's doing it in 16 hours and 59 minutes to compete in, and it's uh, it's great. It's like an awesome achievement. That's something we love about the sport. But because there's so many Ironman events for 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 you to go and do that in, you know, it doesn't mean that just because you do the sport that you should have access to the Ironman World Championships. Like let's say that you're in the an age group that where no one else races, so you automatically qualify after you just finish a race. Like but, but everyone is not, messaging not, my everyone is messaging me and messaging me and saying these same things that let's hold the Ironman World Championships to a bit of a higher account. Let's make it a little harder to qualify. Let's make it a little more exclusive. Let's reduce field size field sizes a little bit, and it gets rid of most of these problems, Andrew. No, no, it doesn't. It it absolutely does not. The only way to to solve the problem you're articulating is for you and and maybe you believe this. 
that let, for example, women over 60 shouldn't be at Kona. They shouldn't be in the Ironman World Championship. And, and if you believe that, that's fine. That's your prerogative. You, you can believe that because those slower female age groups of older athletes, older men too, by the way, are going to be finishing in 15, 16, 17 hours. They always have. They always will. If you think those people don't belong at the Ironman World Championship, that's your prerogative. We disagree. We believe that it's a good thing for there to be women over 70, men over 80. And those are going to be athletes who are going to take between 16 and 17 hours to complete the race. And you can't start those athletes at 10 o'clock in the morning. So maybe that's just where we did disagree. Maybe, maybe you believe that the Ironman World Championship should only be for people under 50. That's okay. You can believe that. But we don't. We think there should be people in the older age groups who are able to race. And if you believe that, as we do, you've got a huge constraint and a huge operating problem that precludes the ability to have men and women not interfere with you. These are pro-men and pro-women interfere with one another during the world championship. I guess it, it just... As long as you believe that there should be people who are slow and those are older age groups, you are going to have that problem. I really don't think that the gaps have to be quite as big as what you're suggesting, Andrew. Like for if the pro men go off at 6.25 a.m. When, when the sun first goes up, then the older age groups don't have to be leaving at 10 a.m. like you've sort of suggested there. And and I'm not sure how many people um, are finishing the Ironman World Championships in, let's say, over like 15 hours, like the older age groups um, you're talking about. But do you think that it is in general a bit of an issue that the quality of um, Ironman World Championships fields ha- have been dampened by easier and easier roll down slots to the race and therefore like greatly increased field sizes and that the race has become more of a like, hey, let's get as many people there participating as possible so we can make as much money as possible situation instead of it being like a true World Championships event where the people who deserve to be there and have worked hard to be there and have earned their spot to be there are the ones actually competing. Um, and it's not about excluding anyone because of their age. It's like, it's not about that at all. But if the community of Kona is so upset by the volume of people and it's led to something so drastic as the race moving from a place where it's had like 40 years of history and that people love and, and is iconic with the sport of Ironman um, triathlon, then it just seems to be obvious to me that it's something we have to look at. I think that about 10% of the field is over 60. That's about where it's been for the last few years. Um, and I think it's, th- those are very competitive races. And people, the people who compete in those age groups want to win. And, and so I, I, think, I, I think you have to decide whether you believe that the Ironman World Championship should only be for people who can do the race under a certain amount of time. That is, by the way, completely counter to the history of the sport. You will probably recall that when Gordon Haller won in 1978, he went 11.35. And that there were people in the first years before he had time cutouts who were doing the race in more than 20 hours. But, but you, you, again, you may believe that 
only people who can do the race under 12 hours deserve to be at Kona. I mean, we don't believe that. But I just think we the think- sport's evolved, right? Where it's, there's so, like Ironman is a much different um, company and, and sport than what it was in the early 80s, late 70s. Like, it isn't just the Ironman, like at Kona anymore. There's, there's hundreds of Ironman events worldwide. So anyone who wants yeah. to complete an Ironman now, which is obviously like a big part of your business model is like getting people in to say that, hey, I am an Ironman, do one or two Ironmans and, and get them out. Like that's obviously a big part of the model and always has been, but there's so many around the world. There's not a continent in the world where you can't go and do at least two Ironmans every single year and, and say you're an Ironman. And so people still have that, that opportunity. But do you, because do you the, think there's something wrong with that? I think that's a great thing, but because the sports evolved, so of so of the Ironman World Championships, like the men's race is now being finished almost four hours faster than what you're talking about. Yep. So the sport is evolving, and oh, performances and it, are getting better, and age groupers are getting better, professionals are getting better. So Ironman can't like I don't understand the thinking of being like, well, we're going to treat this race like it was in you know 1980 when the sport is 40 years evolved from that. It just seems it seems silly. Like that's why I think. Well, the sports evolve so much, technologies evolve so much, age groupers are now racing much faster than the people who used to win it, who were really just age groupers as well. Like, why don't you evolve with it and be like, well, we've got to make our Ironman World Championship event a little more exclusive for people who uh, probably, it's, it might sound a bit rough, I understand, but deserve to be there because their performance is good enough to be there. That way it makes I the guess, Ironman guess, World Championship a much what, more special event. I'm super curious. Why do you dislike old Age group out. So <laughs> why, why are you? Why are you so averse? Andrew, to you can't be racing in Kona. You can't paint me to be a bad guy for thinking that when it's what the majority I'm, of I'm, your fan base think. I, I'm I'm not trying to paint to paint you as a bad guy. But don't tell but me that I hate, is, hate I hate older people. You, like that's ridiculous, and it's not something I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you, I be- you're saying they shouldn't be a Kona. No, I'm saying I'm not saying it doesn't matter if you're 18, if you're 35, if you're 65. I'm saying there should be standards to make sure that if you're there, you have qualified in times that show you will make it before it gets to a point where you think Iron Man think it's unsafe. Like whether that's dropping back your swim, ride, and run cutoff times. That's completely normal. Do, do, you know, why does that mean I hate old people? It just means that I think that because the sport of Ironman's evolved, that there should be higher standards to get to your world championship event. And I don't think the world championship should be just like, you know, Ironman Australia or Ironman Wales or Ironman South Africa. I think that to get there, you should have to really deserve to get there. And if that you guys just need to set in place, here's the cutoff times that make sure you, you finish in time. If you can get there in time, you're good enough to be at our world championship event. If you're not, but, hey, but here's all you, these but, other events but, around but, the globe that you can get to. Let me just let me just stay with that for a second. So 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 you think there should be like one cutoff time, and if you can't make that cutoff time, you shouldn't get to the world championship. It, I, not to qualify, but to finish on the day, right? If you're saying that your yeah. big concern is safety because for people to finish in the dark or w- whatever your concerns are around that, you have a set of qualifying times. If you're not making those times, you get pulled off the course. It's rough, but it's a world championship event. If you don't like that. Well, we do that. We do that. We do that everywhere. I mean, every Ironman in the world is a two hour and 20 minute cutoff for the swim. Yes, but you guys, if you're saying that those cutoff times are too lenient so that if people are making all those cutoff times, they're still finishing in the dark when it's too unsafe to no, be out there. No, no, no. What I'm, what I'm saying is... You did say that about the World Championships. The, you said that there will be people who won't just, be able let to... Let me just tell you, your solution was 
you start pro-men at 625, you then wait a half an hour to start the pro-women, then you wait another half an hour to start the age group men, to start flowing athletes, because you want to give a huge gap between the pro-men's race and the pro-women's race, and then all the age groupers, right? That, that was your solution. That's what you said we should do. And what I said is the problem with that is when you push back the start of the age group race, you run out of daylight for the age groupers. You, you don't give them the same amount of time as everybody else because to safely put the age groupers in the water, water, you then, and to give them the same amount of time that everyone else has, you run out of daylight on the end, on the back end. And you need to be able to, you need to be able to have enough time for people to achieve the cutoff. And it's, the cutoff's not a problem for most fast people, for people who are gonna go 10, 11, 12, 13 hours, but older age groups disproportionately need that time. They need the time to be able to complete the swim in two hours and 20 minutes. Again, because older people don't swim as fast. Older people don't ride their bikes as fast. And if they're gonna get the same amount of time as everybody else, and, and I keep coming back to this because Ironman has always had the same cutoff times for everybody. There's no less or more time for people because you're a woman. There's no less or more time because you're physically challenged. There's no less or more time because of your age. Everybody has the same amount of time to complete the race. And if you're going to start people later because you want to create a cleaner race for the front, the people at the back pay for it. That's the operating problem that okay. we have at Kona. So firstly, I, I didn't say that you should split them 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes. I think you put those words in, into my mouth as a, as a starting point. And I, I, you're, not you're, you're right. I didn't, I didn't say specific, but you said give them a lot more. Yeah, we give I, a five-minute gap between the men and the women, then we have 20 minutes to the age groupers. Here, here's what That's I actually what think rather than you sort of assuming what I think. I think you start okay. the pro men or the pro women. I don't really care, but pro men make sense so that the, the men aren't running through the women or riding through the women. Start the pro men, give them 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I think that's a pretty fair amount of time. Start the pro women. Pro women, And then from there, you give them 10 minutes and you do a mass age group men start. And then you give them 10 minutes and you do a mass female age group start. Now, that will only be an issue if you go, well, we're going to make it way too easy to qualify. We're going to give out way too many spots because of money, because we want lots of people there. We want to make as much money as possible. What people are largely saying, including myself, this is also the opinion I hold, is we need to drop back the size of the fields at Kona or the size of the fields at the Ironman World Championships and make it so that it's not a crazy, you know, draft fest out in the bike by having way too many people. It, it's, it's completely reasonable to be like, well, instead of having 4,000 people out on course, let's just have 1,000 people out on course. The pros the pro men, the pro women and 500 pro uh, age, like 500 age group men, 500 age group women that cleans out the field so much. And yes, I do believe that the, 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 the cutoff time should be brought down a little bit for the Ironman world championships to make, make up for that. Look, two hours, 20 minutes. I understand. Like, let's just say all your usual cutoff times for Ironman events around the globe. 
You can have them in every other event you do around the globe. There's so many Ironman events out there. But for the Ironman World Championships, instead of it being two hours and 20 minutes for the swim cutoff, we now make it an hour and 45 minutes. And that, and then you keep doing that to allow for everyone who has to make it like at these times so that they're not out there in the, the dark when it's unsafe. Well, these are the cutoff times that mean you won't be out there in the dark. This is a world championship event. You should be able to make those times to be at a world championship event. There's, there's literally no one even, out there. Even if, you're, even if you're, even if you're in a, in the female 60 plus age group, even if you're in the female 60 plus age group. Well, I think you and I have a difference of opinion on that. But this is the thing, Andrew, I don't think Iron Man are listening to what people actually want or what people are actually saying because, and, and, and that's wrong because people aren't agreeing with you guys on this. Why Why do you think there's so much negative feedback about everything that's happening with Ironman at the moment? Do you think it's because that, that people agree with everything that you're saying? Or do you think maybe me as a fan of the sport who in a way is speaking on behalf of the fans of the sport and I'm hearing what they're saying, I'm sure you guys are hearing what they're saying. People don't really agree with what you guys are doing at the moment. And to be honest... I think people question your motives a bit. Like I think the public sentiment and probably my own sentiment is that you guys are doing everything for money, not because you care about, you know, the 65 year old females racing. Like I think you guys care about making money. Well, John Collins, when he raced Kona the first time, I think was 40 years old. He might've been 40 now. They thought he was crazy to do it because he was so old. And today, I think the last year of Kona, the average age was 42 or 43. Ironman has been, and endurance sports in general, have been this tremendous opportunity for people who are older, who still want to compete, still want to test themselves. Ironman has always been a place that has welcomed those folks. And so I think we're proud of the fact that there are increasing numbers and large numbers of people who are older, who want to do Ironmans, who want to qualify for the world championships, who want to go to Kona, and we think they're going to want to go to Nice as well, and to be able to compete. And so I think that, you know, philosophically, you know, our, our belief is that we want to make opportunities for those people and we want to do it at the same cutoffs we always have. And we don't apologize for that. Everyone who's listened to How They Train for long enough knows I only work with brands I use personally, love, and want to help spread the message of to help others. To give you an example, the biggest deal I've ever been offered was $10,000 by a company for a product I literally didn't believe in at all, so I said no. Over the back end of 2020, I got messaged quite a few times from brands wanting to partner up, and I said no to every single one of them because I just didn't want to come on here and sell you some bullshit that I didn't believe in just for money. So I decided I'm not going to do it this way. I'm going to reach out to brands I love and see if they'll partner with me to keep the show alive. And then I get to tell everyone you know, all about that product and get discount codes for everyone for brands I already use and love. 
And so after reaching out to form a smart goggle company, they agreed to jump on and be a major partner of how they train in 2023. So this year, my two main sponsors will be Pillar Performance and Form Smart Goggles. Just like with Pillar, I'd used Form Smart Goggles myself prior to them jumping on board and I seriously love them. I'm not someone who has ever loved swimming. I go through patches where I feel good swimming and enjoy it, patches where I dread every minute leading up to my swim because I don't want to do it and times when I've done you know, 800 meters or 1,000 meters of my 4,000 meter swim set and finishing it seems like literally impossible because I'm so bored or feel so shit and just wish I could go and ride my bike or go for a run or, or even just go home and, and hop back in bed. And I tried a few things, like I tried listening to music, I'd, you know, tried really focusing on technique over and over again, having lane buddies, and sometimes those kind of things would work, and more often than not, I'd still dread it and hate it and be super bored and just want to be anywhere else. Then I decided to try Form Smart Goggles, because I was like, maybe they'll help, I don't know. And holy shit, it helped me so much. I found swimming so much funner. It it was sort of the exact same feeling I had about Zwift when for years, uh, because I live in a really rainy place, I would ride my stationary trainer indoors and just be bored out of my absolute brains. And then I got a kicker and got Zwift and I was like, how wasn't I using this earlier? I suddenly found myself really motivated by being able to see what paces I was swimming and like both for like individual reps, but also just like overall average paces for for the swim session. And instead of just going through the motion, suddenly I was like motivated and had energy and, and just wanted to be in the pool. I started doing more time trials because it was like a fun challenge being able to see it on the screen. Like you swim and you can just literally see what pace you're swimming um, for, for that like individual hundred meter or for like the overall swim on your screen. And instead of just like swimming sort of like medium or like this gray zone all the time, I suddenly felt motivated to swim harder and, and really push myself. But also like on easier days, instead of just like still getting caught in that medium gray zone, I, I started slowing down more because I could actually see what pace I was. And so it would positively reinforce me to swim both faster and easier. Um, and, and like literally for the first time in my life, I think I've gone four months using them and haven't had a single patch where I'm dreading swimming or or bored and I 100% put it down to my form smart goggles and so that's why I reached out to them I just literally sent them an Instagram message and 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 said hey I love I love your goggles would you like to come jump on board and and help everyone else out with a discount code Um, and before that I started trying them because I'd seen some pros using them and, and promoting them and thought maybe it'll help. And and then, yeah, after using them three to four times, I was kicking myself for not doing it earlier. So if you're like me and need a way to stay motivated and enjoy your time in the water versus just like getting through it, like just getting it done and not really enjoying it, um, trust me, you've just got to try them and you'll never go back to other goggles. So go to formswim.com and enter code HTT15 at checkout for 15% off your purchase of form goggles, which includes one year access to premium membership for free. Again, details of this will be in the episode description. So check it out. And then so the decision to go with the split venues and also having the, the races like sort of a month apart from each other. What's the reasoning behind that? Why, why are you doing them one month apart? Obviously people, I think that's one of the main things people are, are quite upset because, about is that because, the fact that because Nice is hosting rugby world cup games in 2023. Go check the rugby world cup schedule and you will see that there's games in Nice 
I think from the like 15th to the 23rd, I think there's three or four games that are being held in Nice. And while the Rugby World Cup is competing, is, is taking place there, there's no way they can have the race. You, you may notice that in 2024, the dates are different. Yeah, so you didn't consider doing it at a different location so that the races could be on the same weekend? Same weekends, we, we, would not, we would not recommend that. I mean, there's no scenario we looked at where you have the races the same weekend. Okay. And would you, like, I, I, would, I would, from my sort of, um, sort of like, I don't know, interaction with everyone talking about the, the change of dates and the change of locations, like I've already said, I think people can be pretty understanding about, hey, like, the, the local community don't like the two days, um, maybe the amount of participants has become a, a little too big and, and the island's becoming a little too busy and, and the locals don't like that, like that and, and it's, you know, reducing their quality of life for that sort of week, two, three weeks where all the athletes are there. I think people can understand that. Um, but did you ever consider then going, well, maybe Kona isn't the, the place to do this every year and if we are going to change the location to Nice or to wherever else you want to do it, well, maybe let's make the, the men's and women's races the same on the Thursday and the Saturday like we did in Kona this year and, and just do it at a different location? If you think people are mad about taking half of the world championship out of Kona, just imagine how mad they'd be if we took all of the world championship out of Kona. I don't, I, I'm not, I, I would be interested to know, like that could be true. People, people would, pro, there was, would be a lot of people who say that, um, that the Ironman World Championships are in Kona and it can't be anywhere else. And so that's why I wanted to talk so much about the possibility of making yeah. it a single day no, race we, and how we can keep it there. But do you think, do you think that if, do you we've think. Looked we've looked at it and we've talked about it. We've talked about you taking the world championship, having a two day world championship somewhere else and just having an age group race in Kona. We've looked at that. Um, and I think our conclusion was we don't, we're not ready to do that right now. We think that the Ironman World Championship and Kona are inexorably linked. And, and we did it in St. George for 2021 um, because we had no choice. And, and we did that, by the way, you know, with the full support of our partners in Kona. But the notion of, of taking a two days and going and having a two-day weekend and, and not having a world championship at Kona, we thought that was not, not the right thing for our men. And so but we looked at it for sure. Do you think that the plan going forward, so obviously we know that in 2023, it's, the men's race will be at Nice and the female race will be at Kona a month apart. And then the following year, it'll just be the, the reverse with the men's race at Kona and the female race at Nice. Do you guys have plans beyond that? Or are you just going, well, let's see how this gets received over the next two years. Let's see how it plays out, what people think of it, what it does to numbers. Um, and, and then we'll make decisions going forward. Well, we have a plan, you know, we, we had a plan going into Kona in October as well. And, you know, we had to change the plan. Um, there's an awful lot of communities that have reached out to us and said, we want to talk to you about hosting the Ironman World Championship and, and opening the door. And again, this was unexpected. Um, opened the door to an awful lot of communities saying, we'd like to talk to you guys about hosting the Ironman World Championship. Um, 
And, and we're going to have to see. I mean, I think in a perfect world, I mean, I wish the perfect world was two days of Kona in 2023, but unfortunately that didn't happen. And so we had to go to the next best alternative. And um, in your discussions with the, the mayor of Kona and the people of Kona, do you think there's any possibility of there being two days at Kona ever again? Or is that just, that's never happening again, as far as you guys can tell right now? Like there wouldn't be a situation where you could go, well, let's sort of move with, with what other sports do and rotate our world championships to different locations, but then bring it back to Kona, say like, I don't know, one, once every four years. Like, is there a chance that you could go like, hypothetically speaking, you could have gone, well, in 2023, let's do the men's and women's races Thursday, Saturday in Nice. And then in 2024, let's do that in, you know, uh, Melbourne, Australia. And then in 2025, let's do that in, you know, uh, Cape Town or, you know, anywhere in America or Canada. And then in 2026, bring it, bring it back to Kona and do it Thursday, Saturday, and then do that cycle going forward. Uh, I mean, never say never. And and we're we're not going to ever rule anything out. You know, we've been in, you know, we've been in West Hawaii for forty years, and and it's a unbelievably important part of our heritage. And it's, I think, um, you know, it's a place we always want to be. Um, but I come back to the very very beginning of our conversation. We're guests there, and irrespective of the fact that. Diana Birch and her team all live there and have lived there for decades. Bringing the race there, you know, is it, they have to invite us, and they have to want us there. And and right now, you know, they've told us that two days is a no-no. Maybe that changes at some point in the in the in the future. Um, there's a part of me that hopes it does. There is a part of me that's also coming to grips with the fact that maybe it isn't going to change. And in both of those cases, we have to be prepared. And so, you know, I would, you know, I would personally like it. Um, but, you know, I also realize that, you know, our athletes, um, you know, grappled with a lot of things. It was expensive. It was crowded. It was difficult. Um, and just having that many athletes was um, very different from previous years. And so who knows? Do you, think, um, do you think the bigger issue that the locals are facing is the two days, Andrew? Or, or is it like I've brought up a few times already that the amount of people flooding into the island is just way too many? Because like I've said, it seems that maybe an element of let's get as many people as possible to this race and let's make as much money off this race as we can from Ironman's side has led to this sort of tipping point of it becoming too much for the locals and this like really massive decision having to be made by Ironman of, well, can we stay at Kona or, or do we have to leave? And like these days... The reality is people aren't just flying in on race week. They're like booking out hotels and staying on the island for two to three weeks at a time, sometimes even more. And um, the hotels become exuberantly priced because of the demand of literally like 4,000 people flooding onto the island. And then the roads are just so busy for that whole time, plus race week and the Queen K is absolutely flooded with cyclists on race weeks. And like, would you guys just con all, all consider? All those things are true. All those things are true, but 
but the reality is it was traffic on Thursday. Yeah, okay. Hawaii is, it is a service economy. And, and a service economy means that the proportion of people who make their living via hourly wage relative to salaries is very high. And so can you just explain to me why isn't, because I obviously don't know, and I'm sure you've had these conversations, why isn't it an option to just reduce field sizes and do the women's race on Saturday and the men's race on Sunday? That, w- that way it doesn't quite affect a men- as many locals going to their jobs with, with it being on the weekend. From a logistical and organisational standpoint for you guys, it actually probably makes your job way easier because there's so many less participants. And, and you just increase... In Hawaii, people go to church on Sunday. There's no racing on Sunday. Yeah, and you couldn't do that. And you think that even with a reduction in field sizes to reduce overall volume on the on the island, that you couldn't make it on a Friday are, and a Saturday or a Thursday and a Saturday? We closed the roads. Yeah, but... When so, you have a lot of people or, or, or a small number of people, when the roads are closed, people can't, on Sundays in particular, people can't get to church. Yeah. But, but what, I was, what I was asking is it, you, there's no way that if you reduced field sizes to say, you know, four or 500 uh, females and four or 500 males that you could still do it on the Thursday and the Saturday. It's, it is literally just the fact that the roads are closed on the Thursday that's the issue, not the volume of people on the island. People, so when we, I'll give you an example. When we first started racing in Hawaii, Nelha, the Natural Energy Labs of Hawaii, and, and you've been out there. I think you've, have you raced, you've raced Kona, haven't you? I haven't raced. Nope. Okay. So, so the, the energy lab, it's, uh, it's the out and back section out by the airport. That was this remote, lonely government facility. Today, it's a business park that employs, I think, 500 people. And those people need to get to work on Thursday. And they need to get from work on Thursday. We need to be able to have people get to and from the airport. People need, on Thursdays, people need to get to, construction workers need to get to job sites. And when you close the main road, it materially impacts people's ability to move around the island. And for people who are, on Saturday, you can just stay home. But on Thursday, you got to go to work. And if you don't go to work, you don't get paid if you're an hourly worker. And so traffic control and traffic management becomes a huge thing. And and while we thought we had done enough to make it easy for workers and hotel guests to get to hotels up and down the Kahala coast and to get into and out of the airport to both leave Hawaii and land in Hawaii and for construction workers and preschool teachers and everyone else to be able to do their job. The, what we heard from the community was you didn't. It was just, you know, we had to wait too long. We couldn't get to where we needed to get to. And it's a Thursday. It's a work day. And, you know, and when you close a road, it doesn't matter whether you have 400 people or 4,000 people. The road's closed and the road has to be closed because it's a world championship and people are going hard. They've got their heads down and they're going as hard as they can. And it isn't safe to do anything else. And so 
that that's the reality. The reality is our Thursday experiment didn't work. And my last and real we, question on the the, the change of, of world okay. championships, Andrew, is do you do you sort of think that the the solution you guys have come up with is a little bit of a, you know a, just a bit of an in between decision? Like, do you do you not sort of think that you either had to go one day at Kona to keep it at Kona or hey, move the event and we do the men's and women's races on the Thursday and Saturday at other places. Obviously, people are always reluctant to change and, you know, uh, change, is, tra- change is tricky, particularly when it's things that people care about. But ultimately, you've still made a change and people are still angry. Like people are, people are definitely angry at Ironman at the moment. I think probably the most negativity towards Ironman um, I've ever seen, and I've probably been following the sport since 2004, 2005. I've never seen Ironman cop negative um, publicity like they are right now so even though i hear you in that you're trying to you know keep the race at kona because it's so important to iron man like and people would care if the race went away from there but they already are they still are angry so do you not think that ultimately you should have gone hey let's just do it at different locations let's rotate it around the world let's make it a world championships like every other sport that does that literally every other sport in the world does that keep the men's and women's races together. It allows couples to go together. It allows families to go together. Um, it, it means that families aren't paying for like two different costs on two different continents. And it probably means that there's more eyes on the, the women's race because the men's racing is a little bit more popular at the professional level at the moment. But if you separate them, it, it probably slightly reduces the, the number of eyes on the women's races versus if we keep them at the same location and then, you know, for one weekend, the whole sport can be focused on um, on this event and we get more eyeballs on both. Or we just, yeah, we just go the one day at Kona. Do, do, you, do you think that you've sort of gone, well, you haven't committed to either way and you've just done like a stopgap solution that probably isn't making anyone that happy? Well, let, let me address sort of the larger point first, which is, you know, we recognize this is a big change. You know, that's, that's not a surprise to us. And the, the fact that this represented a really meaningful change, you're right, people don't like change. And, and people don't like change, especially when you're dealing with something with as much history as the Ironman World Championship in Kailua Kona. That said, um, you know, we... People were extraordinarily negative when we separated the age group men and the age group women starts. People didn't like age group waves at the Ironman World Championship. Um, and all those things made the race better, by the way. And, and so I think, you know, you, I, I, I was smiling when you started talking about 40 years of history and why you're doing things the same old way. Um, when, in fact, this is one of the most material changes that we've ever made in our 40-year history. And, and so we'll see how it works. And we have never as an organization been afraid to try new things. And we've never as an organization been afraid to adapt to circumstances. Um, I think a women's only Kona is going to be awesome. I think a world championship race in Nice is going to be awesome. It's going to take a while for people to get used to it. I think we, we recognize that. And people care deeply about Ironman. You know, part of the, the challenge of my job is you know, you've got people 
who in many cases literally have the tattoo on their body. They feel deeply vested in the sport. They feel like, you know, they are in many ways an owner. And, and so that passion and that commitment makes people have very, very strong opinions. And I'm okay with that. It's better than people not caring. But at the same time, you know, our, our job, my job, it's not a popularity contest. It's doing what is in the long-term best interest for Ironman. And I think this step that we took, given the circumstances that we were in, is the best course of action. And, and we'll, we'll see. Time will tell. And moving away from the the world championships discussion to sort of something that this pod something that this podcast largely focuses on, which is the professional side of, of long course triathlon and, and triathlon in general. Do Ironman as a company like where do you see the professional side of triathlon in your hierarchy of importance? Is is Ironman moving more and more towards being um, a sport that focuses on participation from paying age groupers uh, or paying amateurs in the sport? and wants to make the experience as high quality for, for those people as possible um, and and move sort of less away from the pro racing being important? We spent 45 minutes talking about the Ironman World Championship and, and our commitment to women having their own day. And, you know, Chelsea Sidero being at the front of the race, the front of the race, not behind the first 17 pro men, so, yes, pros matter. We okay. care about the professional athletes, men and male and female. Do you think that the professionals are paid enough? Compared to what? Compared to the revenue that Iron Man makes? I think that we provide a good, fair platform for professionals to be able to showcase themselves and create, you know, great racing experiences. It's, I think that the, I mean, and it's, it's been great with the PTOs done in the last couple of years, but the platform that enables professionals to be professionals in our sport in long course in any event is Ironman. Okay. So you do think they're paid enough? I think there wouldn't be pro triathletes if there wasn't Ironman at long course. I completely agree with that for what it's worth. And that's that's the main reason why I asked because I think the reason why Ironman is such a big company is because of, you know, the legendary battles out on the Queen K and, and through the Energy Lab at, at Kona. And to me, it sort of felt like a little bit Ironman is, is moving away from making the sport accessible to be a professional. Like pro, pro prize money hasn't really increased in a long time and, um, the, the, the amount of pro races around the world is, is getting less and less, you know, like there's so many less Ironman 70.3 races and, and full distance Ironman races that are, um, professional races. There's, there's the prize money, like the total, um, prize package for, for the professional men and women isn't really evolving or getting, uh, increasing with the amount of revenue that Ironman are making. It's sort of just stayed the same. Like the, the prize money that you make at the Ironman world championships is the same as what it was 10 years ago. Um, but Ironman as a company 
are making the like a lot more money. It hasn't it hasn't it hasn't changed in percentage even nearly as much as you know like the the amount you win for um, the amount of money you win for winning the Ironman World Championships hasn't increased with this the like the amount or the the total increase in percentage of revenue that Ironman are making from the event has it. I think the I think the the top triathlete long course triathletes in the world make more than they've ever made. But not because of Ironman, because of sponsorship or the PTO. Absolutely, or... because of Ironman. Right. So where where are they making? If there, was, if, there was, if, if if there wasn't the platform called Ironman Professional Racing, you think pros would make more money? Well, I'm not really talking about the platform. I agree that Ironman is still the biggest company in triathlon, but triathletes definitely make more or have the potential to make more money from PTO races or even sort of clash races. The the like the actual prize purse from racing Ironman events isn't that high and it's and it hasn't really changed. We've been, we've been enormously supportive of, of our professionals. You know, we've never we've never suggested in any way, shape, or form that that our professional athletes that look, let me take that back. The professional athletes, they're not ours, they're independent, you know, they're independent pro- professional athletes. We've never suggested that they shouldn't go race challenge that they shouldn't go race clash that they shouldn't go race pto we've never in ever suggested to any of to any of them that they can't go and and you know make whatever they can i mean it's not an easy life and and so i think we've been a very good citizen and you know, and if you look at what's happening in other sports, you know, some of the nonsense that happens in swimming where, you know, groups try to, you know, limit or ban athletes from participating in certain series or certain competitions. We've never done any of that. We've always allowed and encouraged people to do the best they can and make the most they can. And that includes, you know, the PTO. We've always told every professional athlete, you know, if, if you have an opportunity to be able to, to go out and get paid, take it. I understand that Ironman's business is around the age group athlete and that's where you make your money. And that's the, that's the backbone of, of Ironman triathlon. I fully understand that, but I think the professionals, myself being sort of an ex very, I had a very crappy career, Andrew, but <laughs> being amongst that group would say that the, that the sport of Ironman was built on the professionals and the stories on the Queen K and stuff like I've already talked about. Like the the inspiration to race an Ironman as an age group now as an age grouper now can come through friends and family who have done it and 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 hearing of people in your local community who have done it. But originally it was it was these sort of like heroes that were doing it and people were like, oh I want to be like them. I want to finish one of them. And and that's what it was like for the first 20, 30 years of of, of the company's history. And now that the sort of the motivation to do an Ironman might not necessarily be because just because you've watched a professional do it. It doesn't mean that that's not where it started. And so it's very clear that Ironman as a company don't need the professionals anymore, but the sport was definitely like, or the company was definitely built off the back of professionals and, and the, the real top tier and elite triathletes racing out on the Queen K and, and, and at Ironman Hawaii. But you guys don't believe that they deserve a high percentage of the revenue 
um, for, for the, the hand they've had in creating the sport and even that bit of inspiration and motivation that they do, do still provide for a lot of people these days. You don't think that as Ironman's revenue is increasing astronomically over the last 10, 20 years that the professional should be paid sort of, um, you know, at the same increasing percentage of, of Ironman's revenue? I, I think inspiration for age groupers or anyone else comes from a lot of different sources. It came from Julie Moss in 1982. Um, the Hoyts, inspiration comes from them. Inspiration comes from Chrissy Wellington. It comes from Dave Scott, Mark Allen. It comes from all over the place. It comes from your mother or your aunt who's recovered from cancer who does an Ironman. The inspiration to take the journey comes from all kinds of places and affects all kinds of people. And what we have done over the years is we've provided a platform for people to fulfill their dreams and to become inspired. So just, Andrew, you sort of just went around the question then. Do you think that the professionals deserve to be paid uh, an increasing percentage of of Ironman's revenue as the company grows? I think we have a fair platform for our professional and our age group athletes for that matter. Okay. So would you ever be willing to release, you know, the information on the amount of revenue that Ironman make from a particular event, say the Ironman World Championships, and then compare that to the prize pool of the professionals so that people would, would be able to understand, hey, this is the total amount of money that Ironman are making from this event, and this is the total amount of money we're paying so that people could sort of compare the, the percentage of, of revenue to other professional sports, you know, like other big American sports that I know you've been involved in. I know you, you've had a long history with basketball, Andrew. The, the, their athletes are fighting to get paid 50% of revenue. Now, they they probably do deserve a higher percentage of revenue than professional triathletes, but I would love to know the percentage of, of revenue that professional triathletes are making. Like, you're the CEO of the company. Would you be able to let me know those numbers or would you ever disclose those numbers to the public? So we're a private company and we don't disclose financial information, but, but let me come, let's come back to basketball because I think that's... That's a good point. Um, basketball, the product is viewership. That, that's what the entire business is. It's people who pay to watch the Lakers or the Golden State Warriors, or the New York Knicks, LeBron James, Steph Curry. The business model is people who buy tickets to watch those games. People who watch on television or through any number of streaming services to watch the games, who buy the merchandise, some case team identified, some case player identified. But the whole business model is it's a spectator sport. And it's all about viewership. And We're not a spectator sport. We're a participation sport. Marathons, us, you know, the business isn't just about pros and and viewership. 
the overwhelming part of the business is individual athletes and their individual journey. And so the analogy between basketball or football or tennis is just, it's just not accurate because ultimately, you know, for however many athletes there are at the Ironman World Championship, a very narrow slice of them are going to be professionals. And that large portion are people who, for their own reasons, are pursuing the dream, who find inspiration from all sorts of different places, and who are racing their own race for their own reasons. And so while pros play an important part of our business, they, are, they play an important role in the overall Ironman ecosystem, it's only a part of the ecosystem. Whereas in basketball, the pros are the ecosystem. I obviously completely agree that the pros don't deserve to be getting paid what professionals in sports that generate massive income streams like basketball or NFL or, or soccer get. But I'm just using them as an example because we sort of know what percentage of the revenue they get, whereas everyone can see Ironman becoming this massive, massive company that's making more and more and more money, but has also cut the number of professional races around the world, therefore like drastically limiting income professionals can make from Ironman races. And it, it really like Ironman hasn't really increased pro prize money at the races that still do pay professional prize money. And and just to clarify, you think that the platform you provide is enough without actually increasing the percentage of money that the professionals make from races in line with or or even somewhat close to in line with what Ironman's revenue is increasing by because you think most of the people signing up to do Ironman or Ironman races doesn't have much to do with being inspired by professionals or following the professionals or watching the professionals but is more because of other reasons like their friends doing them or or their family doing them and, and so the pros are paid and remunerated fairly again despite the fact that the sport was built off the back of them? Is there a question there? Yes. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't say any of that. No, that's what I'm asking. I'm asking is do you believe that pros right now, what they're getting in their prize packaging from races um, is exactly what they deserve, you know, because the platform you provide them, the money you provide them, is that exactly what you believe that they're worth and that they don't deserve any more of Ironman's revenue? It feels kind of like a loaded question, don't you think? Oh, no, I'm just asking I your mean, opinion on I whether mean, you like believe a, that's we, true or not. No, I, I, I think that we, you know, we believe in what we put out there. And, uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have put it out there. Yeah. And so continuing on, on the theme of pro triathlon. I, 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 we are way over time. Okay. So you don't want me to ask you any more questions here, Andrew? So we're, we're, an hour, we're an hour and 10 minutes into what was supposed to be a 45-minute interview. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I was just never told this could only be a 45 minute interview. Uh, I didn't know we had any, any time restraints here. Okay. Fair enough. I was. There, there are just a lot more questions people want to hear answered by Ironman, I guess. Like I think one of the big things people are annoyed about is that they feel like their questions and, and their thoughts and opinions aren't really being heard. So the best of my knowledge, I've never turned out a media interview. And when people write me, I write them back. But you want to cut the interview so, here? I mean, you don't yeah, want to continue to answer I, I the questions that know, people have? I, I don't quite know where the I'm not being heard is unless it's, 
you know, well. Okay. People have, have questions. I'm like, I'm not hard. I'm not hard to reach. I'm at races all the time. Andrew at Ironman.com. You can call our office in Tampa and leave me a message. I'll answer it. Yeah. But you don't want to answer any more of those questions now. I'm out of time. Okay. And you can't make some more time just to answer a few more questions. This has been enormously fun, but maybe we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, I'd definitely love to do it again. Just just so we can touch on some of the key things I seriously would have tried to make time for um, if, if I had known about the 45-minute time thing. But uh, unfortunately, yeah, didn't didn't know about that. And just like things like the price of, of Ironman races and where does like age group race fee entry actually go? That was like one of the big questions that I was getting sent in. Like, hey, these prices seem to have gone up a little little bit and be quite high. Like what, what actually happens to my money? What does it get used for? Um, is, is that pricing? necessary um then, then like things i'm interested in like drafting in in both the pro and age group races and how to fix that and some some more pro chat like around motorbikes affecting races and technical officials being maybe like paid and, and trained by ironman uh, like just so that we don't have some of the dramas we had there in, in the back half of 2022 but yeah uh, unfortunately just didn't know about the time thing i'm happy to set up some more time it has been enormously enjoyable and i will talk to you soon okay sounds good thanks for your time and okay andrew has left the zoom call uh, <laughs> i don't really know what to do now um i've never had someone hang up like that maybe i uh, maybe i pushed it a bit too much at the end there i don't know but i guess i just wanted to get some answers to stuff i think we all care about anyway I wonder if he'll actually come back on for part two. I sort of got the impression that maybe he wasn't actually being serious there and that won't be happening. But <laughs> and now I'm sort of just talking to myself. So, yep, I guess that's a, a wrap for this episode. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, I think maybe I just threw away any opportunity I ever had of commentating at an Ironman World Championships one day completely out the door. But <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Just a reminder on last week's episode with Alistair Brownlee, where I told you all about one of my favorite races I've ever done, Hell of the West, that if you're in Australia and want to support a local Australian middle distance triathlon that's been run by volunteers for 32 years, then you have to consider Hell of the West. It's got an amazing atmosphere because all the locals pack the swim exit, the roads when you ride, and they absolutely pack the run course. Like seriously, the run course has some of the best energy I've ever seen in a race. It costs $230 to enter, which is literally half the cost of the bigger branded middle distance triathlons, but you get every single thing at Hell of the West as you would get at the bigger branded races. In fact, I'm going to say you get more out of it because every single person that races gets made to feel like a pro, whether you're fast, slow, or somewhere in between, the event organizers, the volunteers, and the town locals are just so excited you're there that you'll finish this weekend, you'll, you'll finish the race on the Sunday and you'll be heading home on the Sunday night or the Monday and you'll just be like, I have to come back here next year. Like this is a, this is a race I want to do every year. Not only because you want to support like a local triathlon that feels like a bigger branded triathlon, but also just the way you'll be made to feel there. You literally feel like a rock star no matter who you are racing Hell of the West. So head to hellofthewest.com to enter or check out more details about the race. <laughs>